if you don't have an outline in front of you, you can look though at the bulletin and at the text, which is Matthew chapter 16. We're not going to cover the tail end verses of that reading, mainly the first part of it. As you know, Heidi and I were privileged to be chaperones for our son Adam's AP Euro class. And at, at uh, ALA, Arizona Academy, I think it's every third year, maybe every other year, third, every third year, every, every other year. Um, a teacher, Doug Meyer, and that is Tim Meyer's brother, has led a group of students and adults, chaperones, uh, to, to Europe. And, and, and so we were honored to, to accompany this year. Um, and one of the things that struck me, we went to London, uh, we, we uh, went to Windsor, outside of London, the royal family where they live. Uh, we then went to uh, Paris, France, and then we ended uh, our, our trip in Rome. And, and what amazed me, every place we went, was what a strong influence, even yet today, that the ancient Roman Empire had upon Europe. The ancient Roman Empire. Uh, I was surprised in, in London. I mean, that's about 900 miles away from Rome. And it was the, the second night we were there. We were kept busy. We traveled about 11 miles a day, going to all different sorts of places, and this museum and that museum, and, and uh, really learning a lot. But the second night, there was a little bit of downtime and kind of a fun event uh, for those who wanted to go, and it was the Jack the Ripper tour. And I didn't necessarily want to go to that, but Adam wanted to go, and they wanted some more adults to go along. So I went on this Jack the Ripper tour, and, and that's the, the infamous serial killer in the 1800s, and I think six uh, women were, were murdered. But you go on the streets where the bodies were found. Uh, but the very first place we stopped, this was the backdrop. And what that is, is a Roman wall. The Romans built this. This wall is still standing today is 1,800 years old. And I was just stunned. I mean, it's there, it's extremely well built. Uh, you know, the original wall in London. Because the Romans, they liked London. And then they expanded their kingdom all the way into England. Now today in our text, we're going to see another area outside of Rome, but part of the Roman Empire, that the Romans also loved. And it was a place called Caesarea Philippi. Now, now Caesarea Philippi is in Israel. If you go to the, the Sea of Galilee, last time I preached here, uh, three weeks ago, Jesus in the boat with his disciples, the storm, Sea of Galilee... Well, if you, if you go north of the Sea of Galilee, 35 miles slightly east, you run into what is called Caesarea Philippi. Here it is. Here's a picture of it. It's a very special place. Uh, for the Israelites, they loved this area because it was the source of the Jordan River. The Jordan River is the main river in Israel. It feeds the Sea of Galilee, it leaves the Sea of Galilee, it flows down to the Dead Sea. The, the Jordan River gives life. And this is where it begins. And what it is, we know it today, Mount Hermon uh, is a very high mountain, 11,000 feet, there's snow there. It's still within Israel proper, going back to the original boundary lines. 
And under the, the, the water melts from the snow and it goes underground, and it's fresh water, it's spring water, and it comes out right here, northern Israel. And for the Israelites, it appeared as if it's coming from the mountain, right, the source of the Jordan River. But the Romans loved this place. Now, now you should know that Caesarea Philippi, it doesn't sound like a Jewish name for a town, and it's not. For all intents and purposes, Caesarea Philippi was a Roman city because they loved it so much. In fact, the Roman soldiers retired there. It was like the main retirement area. I'm going to live in Caesarea Philippi uh, in, in Israel. Uh, what, what this area is also known for, it's also called um, Pontius, and sometimes today Banius because Arabs cannot pronounce the, their P's very well. But what, what Pontius or Banius is, it, it goes back to the Greek god Pan. Uh, the Romans basically stole from the Greeks all their gods and false gods. And so when they recreated these Roman colonies, they would, would build temples to these ancient false gods. And Ancestry Philippi, the main one, again, his name was Pan. You might remember him from back in high school, Greek mythology, if you took the class. Pan was the god who his rear end was a goat. He had two horns, but the rest of him was human. And he played the flute. And that's where we get the Pan flute from. Well, here it is. Uh, you can see built into the, the rocks and arches. And if you get, take a look, closer look, the Romans did this. They carved into the limestone like it's a building, like it's a temple. And, and during Jesus' day, the temple at Pan was still fully intact. Here's an artist's rendition. It probably looked like this. So this is where Jesus is. It's Israel, but it's like a Roman colony. There are people worshiping false gods. There are other gods besides Pan, other temples of false gods. Lots of Romans that are there. Here's Jesus, who is the, 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 the river of life, the author of life. This is the backdrop. And this, uh, by the way, is the year of rejection for Jesus. Uh, Pastor Suntok hopefully talked about that. So we're in the third and final year of Jesus' public ministry. First year, year of inauguration, baptized. Second year, year of popularity. Third year was a year of rejection, where Jesus reached millions of people that second year. But the third year, one by one, most of them rejected Jesus, walked away from him. Now, the upside to the year of rejection was that Jesus used this extra time to spend with his disciples. And, and this is one of the places. He took the 12 with him, northern Israel, beautiful place, beautiful climate, backdrop here, people milling around. And, and Jesus gives them a test. They had been with him two and a half years. Nobody knew Jesus better than the 12 disciples. You know, maybe Mary did, or maybe Jesus' stepbrothers and sisters. But these 12 men knew him very well. Heard all the sermons. Saw what he could do. Saw him perform miracles. They were with him in the boat when they thought they were going to drown because of the furious storm. And, and Jesus rebuked the wind and the waves. They said, what, what kind of person is this? So, so Jesus gives them a not a hundred question quiz, 
but a two-question quiz. And then the first question doesn't even count. But the second question is pass or fail. And by the way, that second question Jesus is asking everyone in this room as well. Your eternity hinges upon your answer to the second question. So with, with that in mind, let's look at the first question, verses 13 and 14. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, and this is the background, he said to his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now keep in mind your rejection, but he had come off the year of popularity. There was a buzz out there, people knew, even as Caesarea Philippi, Jesus, Jesus, who is Jesus? So first question, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now it's quite curious that Jesus uses the expression Son of Man in reference to himself. There are two main places in the Old Testament scriptures that that expression, Son of Man, is used. One of them is the, the book of Ezekiel. The prophet Ezekiel, God, refers to Ezekiel as the Son of Man. Son of Man, what do you think of this? Son of Man, what do you think of that? And Ezekiel would answer. But the second main place is the book of Daniel, chapter 7. Daniel was a major prophet in the Old Testament. The, the Israelites were in captivity. And God allows Daniel to see a vision of the future and a vision of heaven. Daniel sees the Ancient of Days, which we know as God the Father. He's in his glory in heaven. Angels are attending the, the Ancient of Days. And then Daniel says, in my vision, I saw someone who looked like the Son of Man coming into the presence of the Ancient of Days. Which, by the way, is very unusual for a man to be in the presence of God and live, doesn't happen. Yet, the Ancient of Days gives glory and power to the Son of Man, and he's worshipped by people all over in heaven. They worship him as God. Now, I'm going to read it to you from Daniel's own book. See it. So Daniel chapter 7, in my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Jesus referred to himself here as a son of man, even though it's son of man, it's actually a proof passage that he is God. You don't worship anyone but the one true God, otherwise you break the first commandment. Daniel talks about the son of man, who in the presence of the ancient of days is worshipped. He is God. So again, about the question, who do people say the son of man is? Verse 14, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So again, this is what, what people on the street were saying. Who is the Son of Man? Who is Jesus? Now, some say that he was John the Baptist. Why would they say that? John the Baptist had been beheaded years earlier. Well, uh, we know one person in particular who thought Jesus might be 
John the Baptist, and that was Herod Antipas who had John the Baptist arrested and beheaded. <coughs> and it's his guilt speaking. He saw John the Baptist as one who was bold in his preaching, confronted him in his sin. He got rid of him, and he sees Jesus then, bold in his preaching, uncompromising with the truth. And in his mind, Herod thought, could this be John the Baptist come back as another person? Uh, others said Elijah. Elijah was another Old Testament prophet, lived 900 years prior. Now, why would people think that Jesus is Elijah? Well, the book of, of Micah, their, their Malachi, excuse me, uh, says this. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. So Malachi said that, that Elijah, who didn't die, Elijah was brought directly to heaven, that before Messiah comes, he's going to come onto the scene. They thought, well, maybe Jesus is Elijah in fulfillment of that prophecy. Still others thought that Jesus was Jeremiah. Again, another prophet, Jeremiah. So Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. He, he lived a very long life. Uh, he was giving warning. Repent, turn from our sins, or the Babylonians are going to take us into captivity. And that's exactly what happened. Jeremiah lived through that. Jeremiah cried over what was happening, the people's rejection of God. Jesus did the same thing. He entered Jerusalem, he looked at Jerusalem, he cried because of the people's rejection of God. So some were thinking, he's, he's Jeremiah. And others thought, he's one of the prophets. Right? He's got to be a prophet. He's got to be a great man. He's bringing teachings. He is one of many prophets. When we were in London, our very first night, we got there, we got settled in the motel, um, we ate, we went to a museum, right within walking distance, and it was evening now, nighttime, and we left the museum, and lots of people, it's like Disneyland everywhere, crowds of people everywhere, and, and there, was a, there was a guy dressed like an imam, and uh, there's a table, it was well lit, four posters, three giant posters, and one of the posters said, who is Moses? Second one, who is Jesus? Third one, who is Muhammad? And then the fourth poster said, find the truth in the Quran. And it, it was a, a, really a propaganda station uh, an imam who was trying to promote uh, Islam, and he's handing out Qurans uh, to people. Um, but if you look into the Quran, it mentions Moses. The Quran mentions Jesus. The Quran mentions Muhammad. It basically says that, that Jesus is one of the prophets. But that's it. Uh, now, now, again, Jesus asked the question, who do people say that I am? This is, again, sensory flip-flop. A sea of people in that town, most of which did not know really who Jesus was. They had their opinion, but they were limiting him as simply one of the prophets. Things have not changed today, have they? Right? Most of the world would say that Jesus lived, that he was a great man, he brought great teachings, but he's just one of many prophets of God. 
All right, we should expect that from the world. Now here comes the second question. And this is the question that counts. This is the pass-fail question. And the question is this. But what about you? Who do you say I am? And I want you to picture right now Jesus saying that to you. What about you? Who do you say that I am? That's the most important question you will ever be asked. And again, your answer will result in life forever with God or apart from God. In a very real place, living apart from God for eternity is hell. So Jesus asked them, he asked us, so what about you? Who do you say that I am? Now in another portion of scripture, Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said this, Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Whoever acknowledges me, is unafraid to say who I am in front of others. Jesus says, I will acknowledge before my Father now. Think, think of that. The ancient of days, God himself. And Jesus says, this one's mine. These people are mine. They believe in me. I acknowledge them. They are sons and daughters of you, Heavenly Father. What a great thing. We, we are royalty. Part of the royal family of God with the kingdom of heaven awaiting us. But, Jesus said, whoever uh, disowns me before men, I will disown before my Father in heaven. And just the opposite, what a, what a tragedy that would be. Again, this is a very important question for each and every one of us. John, the Gospel writer John, said this in 1 John chapter 2, verse 23, No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Whoever denies the Son, if we simply limit Jesus as a great man, a great moral teacher, one of the prophets, and that's it, we don't have the Father. We don't have the, the correct God. It's important we get this right. If you do not acknowledge Jesus, you do not have the one true God. However, acknowledge Jesus, acknowledge who he is. And we have the Father also. So again, Jesus asked them the question, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter is, is, the, is the one recorded who gives answer. He's asking all of them. But, but verse 16, Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. You are the Messiah. You're the, the, the anointed one, the chosen one, the one foretold from long ago as being the savior of mankind. You're the son of the living God. And, 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 and Jesus says this. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. In other, in other words, right on, Peter. You passed the test. You've examined it. You've examined my life. You've examined my words. And you have acknowledged who I am. I am the Messiah, the Savior of mankind, the Son of the living God. Now, again, go back to Daniel's prophecy. One like the Son of Man 
comes into the presence of the Ancient of Days. The Ancient of Days gives him authority, power, and glory. And people from all tribes and languages worship him. Peter is acknowledging that Jesus is that Son of Man. But he's also the Son of God. So, who do people say the Son of Man is? And Peter says, you are the Son of God, the Son of the living God. One and the same. Fully human, fully divine, Messiah and Savior of the world. Now, what Jesus says next has been taken out of context by many of our um, Roman Catholic uh, friends. Uh, verses 18 to 20. I want to give you the correct context here. Uh, Jesus goes on to say, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this is not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And so our Roman Catholic friends will say, here's the passage. Jesus said, right on, Peter. You're the rock. And upon you, the rock, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of Hades will, will not overcome it. And, it. and it reads as if Jesus is saying he's going to build his Christian church upon Peter. And that's the Roman Catholic interpretation, that, that Jesus is saying, Peter, you're the, the Pope, you are the, the, the leader, you're going to have the final authority next to me, and uh, everyone else will be under you. I'm going to build my church upon you, and then the, the understanding is succession of popes from that time on. Let me clarify it. We go to the original language, the Greek. The name for Peter in the Greek is Petros, and the us ending is very important, Petros. And Petros, the ascending, uh, it is talking about a person. A personal name was Peter. And the ascending technically means pebble. You are pebble. Um, and upon this rock, the word there is Petri. It's a different ending completely. The I ending can never mean a person. The I ending is a, an animal object. And it doesn't mean pebble, it means massive stone. So you're Peter, and upon this rock, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So Jesus isn't saying, I'm going to build my church upon you, Peter, but rather, Peter, what you just professed. Who do you say that I am? And it was revealed by God the Father, this is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. That's the rock. The Christian church has been built upon that profession of faith. That Jesus isn't just one of the prophets, wasn't just a good person. The living Son of God, the Messiah of the world. It's upon that profession of faith that, that Jesus has built his church. Um, again, if we just kind of analyze it a little bit. If, if the church is built upon Peter, the person then it's a pretty weak church. I say that because um, right after this, Jesus tells his disciples, very shortly I'll be handed over to wicked men and the elders and teachers of law, and I'm going to be condemned to death on the cross. I'm going to be crucified. And then I'm going to rise again on the third day. 
And what does Peter do? Peter takes Jesus aside. He rebukes Jesus and says, never, Jesus, never will this happen to you. And I think Peter was expecting Jesus to say, right on, Peter. Thanks, man, for, for being the rock for me. That's not what, not what uh, Jesus said. Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You don't have the things of, of God in mind, but the things of man. Now, not that Peter has become Satan, but his, what he said was a Satan thing, not a God thing. So if, if Peter is the Pope, then, then um, and the church is built upon him, and Jesus calls him the devil, there's a problem there. It's not Peter the person. Likewise, we look at the early church. Um, if Peter was meant to be the sovereign leader, and whatever he said would be considered absolute truth, the rest of the disciples didn't get that memo. There was a dispute in the early church. They had to settle the, the dispute. Peter was one of those who, who gave witness, testimony. But it was not Peter, it was James who settled the dispute. That tells me that James, again, was over Peter in Jerusalem. So, but again, we, we, we see that, that, that Jesus is telling us upon that profession of faith that, that Jesus is the Christ, that he's building his church. Now, the Bible makes it clear that Jesus is the cornerstone, the foundation of the Christian faith. We're told, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Peter himself calls Jesus the cornerstone uh, upon which the church is built. Now, the point is this. Well, what about you? Again, Jesus wasn't singling out Peter. He was talking to all the disciples. What about you? Who do you say that Jesus is? Now, the easy thing for us to do, we are in a sea of humanity where Jesus is limited as one of the prophets. And the temptation is, I don't want to cause any problems. I don't want to cause a scene. I'm just going to remain silent. My friends, there is a sin of silence. If God has given us opportunity to give witness to others as to who Jesus is, and we don't take it, we're denying Jesus. And that's exactly what Jesus is speaking against. Now, we need to be smart about it. Don't get me wrong. That imam who was uh, trying to, again, uh, propaganda for, for Islam, I didn't walk up to him and say, hey, buddy, you're wrong. You know, Jesus, uh, my wife was worried I was going to do that, but I didn't. <laughs> um, because that's not, a, not necessarily the smartest thing to do. I learned this early on when I was at the seminary. Uh, all of us had part-time jobs uh, because you've been in school for such a long time, you're just out of money. And my, my part-time job was working home construction. And I worked among uh, all groups of uh, building the homes, but the, the bricklayers, the masons, were the worst. They were difficult to work with. And, and, and they, oh, they singled us out as seminary, seminarians. And it was really persecution where they, they just ridiculed us. It was horrible to, to work with them. But then I was called on a job with just one bricklayer, right? And I was his laborer, one-on-one. -on -one. And what I found is that one-on-one, -on -one, things changed completely. And now this hardened bricklayer 
had questions. Tell me about Jesus. And I'm like, here's the opportunity. Right? I'm going to tell him who Jesus is. And, and that is exactly how it works. Peter himself said, In your heart set apart Christ the Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the hope that you have. But do so with gentleness and respect. That's what it means to acknowledge Jesus. Don't remain silent. Don't be you know, unwise about how you proclaim Jesus. But God will give you opportunity. There's lots of questions about who he is. Give a clear answer. Give a rock-solid answer as to who Jesus is. There is no other Savior, no other Messiah. Jesus, the true Son of God, the Son of Man, is it. And in him there is forgiveness. In him there is everlasting life. Tell me the true peace of God which surpasses our understanding. Keep your hearts and minds through faith in him. Amen. It's time to